Hi, this is Nancy Stafford from Matlock Days, and I will be the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. I really look forward to being with you. I hope you'll listen in. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Hey, thank you for joining us for another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is episode 136. And of course, this is your weekly look into the world of upcoming movies, remakes, sequels, TV and movie DVD releases in our interview segment with someone from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, we have a wonderful guest joining us. It's Nancy Stafford. She'll be stopping by to talk about her time on Matlock, St. Elsewhere, uh, the Miss America pageant, and so much more. She's an interesting guest. She's coming up in just a few minutes. Hope you're going to stick around for that. And this week, we received several emails from people commenting on our interview last week with Richard Keel, who, of course, was Jaws in the Bond films, and he was of... uh, of course, a uh, great guest, had a lot of information to tell us, and uh, he talked about the Bond films. A lot of Bond fans out there, so I uh, want to pr- thank you very much for joining us for that and uh, commenting on it. Also, we had a lot of uh, emails about our interview with Joe Maddalena from the Sci-Fi Channel's Hollywood Treasures once again. And uh, Joe, of course, was a great guest, and he searches out memorabilia from Hollywood TV and all that sort of stuff. It's interesting to watch the show because... Um, he's actually had a couple of guests or people on the show that uh, were guests on On Screen and Beyond, so it's interesting to see them. And uh, he's uh, always searching out that stuff, and it's amazing what this stuff sells for. So it's a great show. Check it out. It's on the Sci-Fi Channels on Wednesday nights at 10 o'clock, and then at 10.30 they have another episode. Uh, So there's two episodes, new episodes, not repeats. And uh, it's, it's a great show. Check it out. And uh, let's see here. Be sure to tell your friends about On Screen and Beyond. I'm sure that, uh, you know, there's something on our website, onscreenandbeyond.com, where you can go and look at uh, our past guests, and there's got to be somebody on there of interest to them, okay? And with all the shows that we have, they're all available for free on our website, or you can go to iTunes and go under Podcasts and type in On Screen and Beyond, and it'll bring you right there, and you can get those for free there, too, if you do it on iTunes. And um, we've had a lot of great guests in the past, and I, I won't run through all of them, but, of course, we've had Linda Gray of Dallas and Dick Van Patten of Eight is Enough, Lee Majors from The Six Million Dollar Man, Taylor Lautner from Twilight, a couple of Bradys, and so many more. So check it out. It's, it's a lot of good stuff there, and you can find out a lot of stuff. It's kind of interesting. You can drive in your car on the way to work or from home from work or whatever and relax, listen to it, exercise to it, whatever you want. It's uh, There's just so many interesting things you can check out. Well, what do you say? It's time to check out remakes. What's coming your way as far as remakes is next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness. Well, it looks like the Dark Shadows film we've talked about in the past. It's going to be remade with Johnny Depp. It's going to start shooting in April. Now, they had originally set it to start in January of uh, 2011, but uh, for some reason it's been moved back to April. And, of course, Tim Burton's joining him on that. Tim's going to be directing it, and it should be a good film. And let's see, the remake of Judge Dredd, which was originally with Sylvester Stallone, is going to be starting the film soon. It's uh, Kyle Urban who's going to be in the lead role this time, and the film will be, surprise, in 3D. And the remake of True Grit with Jeff Bridges and Matt Damon and Josh Brolin uh, was to be released on Christmas Day 
December 25th, but they've moved it up a couple of days to December 22nd. So as like we're always telling you, these things can change the dates, the times, everything. Uh, or maybe they won't even make the films, but uh, that can happen even at the last minute because that's kind of last minute. So anyways, remakes, that's about it. And coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming away as far as upcoming movies? Next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Upcoming movies, well, word is out that Leonardo DiCaprio will star in a film about H.H. Holmes, that's a serial killer, and William Defoe will star in a film called The Hunter, and it's about a mercenary who's hired to hunt down the last Tasmanian tiger. And Kenny Ortega, the director of Michael Jackson's This Is It film, is thinking about making a full-length film based on Jackson's thriller story. And uh, he's, he's been going back and forth on it now. He's not sure what he's going to do. Uh, we'll keep you updated as things happen. And that's about it for upcoming movies next on On Screen and Beyond. Sequel City, next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Alrighty, as far as sequels, it looks like Adam Sandler is hoping to make a sequel to The Grown Ups with his buddies. And uh, he thinks he's going to do it in some form or another. Not positive how they're going to do it, if it'll be a sequel or whatever. Uh, we'll keep you posted on that. Ghostbusters 3, on, off, on, off, on, off. Now rumors have it that it's back on again, with the filming to start in May of 2011. We'll see what happens with that. And Robert Zemeckis says he is still working on a sequel to the film Roger Rabbit. Great film. We'll see if he ever makes it. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, TV on DVD. TV on DVD. Well, this week you can pick up the Golden Girls 25th Anniversary Complete Edition on November 9th. It's a 21-disc limited edition. Now, here's what the packaging is. It's kind of cool. It's a collectible replica of Sophia's Wicker Purse. And it has uh, collectible playing cards, and there's all kinds of extras in it. So check that one out. And Dark Skies, the declassified series, hits DVD in a six-disc set on December 9th in limited release, direct from Shout Factory only. And if you want to wait, you can get it on wide release on January 18th when it'll have, uh, you know, be in all the stores. And I imagine the prices might be a little bit less then. So you might want to check that out. Dark Skies, if you haven't seen that series, it's a good series if you like sci-fi. Uh, they really weave the stories uh, together, and uh, it's kind of a neat neat show about aliens and everything. Uh, let's see. Hot in Cleveland, Season 1 with Betty White and Valerie Bertinelli will be uh, in stores on DVD on January 11th. That's it for TV on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen to be on Movies on DVD. Movies on DVD, The Town with Ben Affleck will be in stores on DVD and Blu-ray on December 17th. Also on December 17th, you can pick up The Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul on DVD and Blu-ray. Just in time for a little stocking stuffer there. And let's see, Machete slashes its way to DVD on January 4th. That's it for 
Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, our interview with Nancy Stafford. Of course, Nancy was uh, uh, Andy Griffith's partner uh, on Matlock, and she was in St. Elsewhere. She was Miss Florida. She's got all kinds of great stories to tell us. It's coming up next right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today on On Screen and Beyond, my guest is an actress who for five years co-starred as Andy Griffith's law partner on Matlock. And she also spent three years on St. Elsewhere, and she starred on the TV show Sidekicks with Gil Gerard in 1986 and 1987. She is an author and a former Miss Florida in the Miss America pageant. It's Nancy Stafford. Nancy, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be with you. You know, Nancy, it's it's such a pleasure to finally, uh, you know, actually talk to you. We we've been communicating, f- actually, since I think July or so. <laughs> <laughs> we're old friends now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you were a little girl, um, in your early years, uh, were you a little actress back then too? You know, I don't think so. I I am so amazed that I have come into this this world of acting, because I think that was about the farthest thing from my mind. I was the most shy, reserved, and insecure little girl, and um, I was so shy, in fact, that at six years old, I I knew my mom had enrolled me in a ballet class in our little recreation hall in our little city in Florida, just to try to get me out of my shell, and um, I did love it. It was a place that I did kind of find myself, and I just loved it, and I did musicals in school. I was always in chorus and drama, but never was I in the leads, and I never, ever, ever would have imagined following into this uh, this career path by any means. This is, was quite a shock to everybody. <laughs> so, so what eventually <laughs> got you going that way? Well, I think what happened is that I, after I graduated from college, I went to the University of Florida with a journalism degree, and when I finished that year, I. Uh, was I represented the state of Florida in the Miss America pageant, which really, I think, was what got me bitten a little bit with the acting and entertainment bug, because I was in front of audiences all the time and speaking out in public and, you know, that kind of role. And uh, when that year ended, I came back to South Florida and started a business career. I was in public relations and marketing, and I got a call from an agent in Miami um, who had remembered that the year before I'd been Miss Florida, and it was in 1981, there was a Screen Actors Guild strike. So none of the real professionals could actually work. So she called me and said, I'm desperate. <laughs> Would you please come down and audition? I have all these big ad agencies that come from New York City to come to South Florida for all their big national commercials every winter. It was a big market down there. And she said, I, all, all the professionals are or on strike, and I just kind of need somebody who can walk and talk at the same time. And I said, well, I think I can do that. So <laughs> I auditioned for five big national commercials all in one week, and I got wow. them all. Wow. And it was just this hodgepodge of Diet Coke running down the beach in a bathing suit to um, Lincoln Continental Town Car to... Revlon to Coca-Cola, I said that one, and then X-14 mildew spray with wearing yellow rubber gloves and no makeup on my face. So it was, <laughs> it was a conglomeration, and it really 
bit me. I went, oh, my gosh. I, I happened to get all these. I realized I actually am kind of good at this, naturally, and I had a blast. So little by little, I phased out of PR work and started doing more and more commercials and print work, modeling down here in South Florida. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I decided to move. After about a year and a half, I moved to New York to study acting to see if I could do this thing called acting. And that's what started the whole thing. Huh. So some, some good did come out of the, the actor strike then, or the, the writer strike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so grateful for those actors in 1981. And I was actually in New York shooting a, a band roll-on commercial um, th- when the strike ended. And they had flown me to New York to shoot this commercial, and I remember distinctly all of a sudden on the soundstage, the day the strike ended, I'm in the middle of shooting, and this man comes into the soundstage and says, are you Nancy Stafford? And I said, yes. And he said, well, I'm with the Screen Actors Guild. And I said, oh. <laughs> he said, are you a member of the Guild? And I said, no, sir, I'm not, but I'd sure like to be. And um, he handed me a contract, and I immediately signed up with SAG, and I've been a member ever since. Hmm. Kind of fun. Yeah. Now, getting back to uh, when you were growing up, uh, from that time period where you you, you were dancing and mm-hmm. going to college, did you ever do any uh, you know plays at school or anything like that? In high school. In high school, um, yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, I was in you know Little Orphan Annie and you know. Um, all the kind of standard musicals, because I was mostly in chorus. That's mostly was I, what I was involved in. I, I took a few acting classes in school, and, but I was never in any of the straight theatrical dramas. I was uh, always yeah. in musicals. Huh. Um, but in, in college, I didn't study any music or drama. That just was so far off of my radar. I was completely a business person and into journalism and writing and a business minor. Now, what, what, what got you to go into the, uh, the, the pageants? Had you done well, pageants when you were growing I, that, up? No, that was, again, the farthest thing from my mind. And I did it purely for a scholarship. Um, I had been on a bit of a fast track at college. I had gone straight through and had graduated. I didn't take a break in between. So I just kind of went quarter after quarter after quarter, graduated in three years, because I wanted to go back and get my master's degree. And um, my parents had generously put my brother and I both through college. He had just finished going through law school, and I was about to embark on my graduate degree, and we frankly were running low on funds. So I had come home after I graduated to take a three-month break before starting school, and my neighbor had said, hey, I've heard about this pageant, and it's a scholarship thing, and, you know, you might earn some money. So I went to the first... Uh, meeting, and all of my girlfriends were all still up at Gainesville, the University of Florida, and I didn't have any friends down south either, so I thought, well, this is a good way to maybe get a scholarship and kind of reacquaint myself with some people. And I went to the first meeting, and it just was so weird to me. I just thought, oh, my gosh, this is too weird. <laughs> so I quit. I didn't stay, and the director called my mom and me and said, I hope you'll come back. I really, I really think you'll do well. So I went back. I must have quit about three times before the local pageant, which was Miss Fort Lauderdale, just because I just it just didn't feel right to me. It just felt so strange. And um, but I stuck with it, and then I won Miss Fort Lauderdale. Honestly, did not realize. I don't know what I was thinking, but you know, I'm not I'm not a ditzy blonde. But I somehow didn't put it together that I then had to go on to Miss Florida. Right. <laughs> and. 
So I was, all right, I went to Miss Florida three months later, and then I win that thing, which was just a shock. Hmm. Um, and then I had to go to Miss America. And then I thought, and I had a pretty bad attitude about it, I must tell you, because I thought, oh, you know, I just, all right, I'll, t- I'll take three more months, and then I'll just go to Miss America, and then I'll be done. You know, when I don't win that, then I'll just be free to go on with my life. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, I did not win Miss America, but I came back to Florida, and then the pageant, the Miss Florida folks tell me, oh, no, no, see, you're under contract with us for a year, so you have to be Miss Florida for a year. Oh, even and after? When, oh. Yeah. And that's when, I must tell you, my bad attitude really creeped in. I went, wait a minute, you're keeping me from my career, you know. And then I had a major reality check, and I went, Nancy, come on now. What was your degree, PR, marketing? What is the greatest PR job a young woman at your age could have, and that is to be the representative for an entire state? Come on, change your attitude. (laughs) And when I did that, I called the business manager of the state pageant, and I said, you know what, I want to work as much as possible. So she got me bookings almost every single day. I was sort of the busiest Miss Florida they'd ever had. Everything from speaking at the state capitol to cutting ribbons to, you know, doing grand openings to um, parades to charity events to all kinds of things. And it was a, I had the year of my life. I just absolutely loved every minute of it. Now, when a pageant uh, uh, winner like that uh, does that sort of thing, uh, you know, for a year they, they're not basically working a regular job, right? You're doing those things. Uh, right. Do, do they get paid for doing? Yeah, I got paid. Oh, okay. Well, that's why I was wondering because I never I knew did. if. <laughs> with, I mean, I, 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 I knew you couldn't just survive with nothing. I mean, you know, making no. appearances. So I, no, I was curious. I got, I got my, um, I got my scholarship money, and I got paid every time I did an appearance, uh-huh. and it was lovely. And then when that year was over, I ended up not going back to graduate school, um, but I took my scholarship, and then I just went on with my career. I started in the PR world because mm-hmm. I felt like being a year out of school, I'd learned a lot of life lessons at that point in time, and I decided I just would rather kind of get on with my career at that point and not go back to grad school. Huh. But it was a great, great, great year, great foundation, and I met an awful lot of wonderful people. Yeah. Now, you weren't one of these pageant people that's, that, uh, when they asked, you know, what do you want, and did, you didn't say world peace, did you? <laughs> <laughs> that's what you no. always see. <laughs> you always see it. No, I think I scared them a little bit, because I remember at Miss America, um, one of the questions I was asked, I think the, the prior year, we'd had a, a Tawny Little, was our, um, her name was Tawny Godin, her maiden name, was uh, our Miss America in 1976, the year before me, mm-hmm. and um, she was a delightful gal, extremely outspoken, um, and made the pageant a little nervous. So I think the year I came along, they had decided they didn't want anybody that was going to say anything that slightly could be controversial. And I remember in my interview, someone asked me, who do you think is in the need of the greatest PR? You're a PR major. What would you, who do you think needs good PR? And I said, well, I think the federal government is in need of great <laughs> PR right now. I said, you know, I really think that communicating better to the citizenry and the public would really help ease some tensions. Well, you could see how their bodies sort of stiffen <laughs> as if I said just the most horrible, like I'm some commie or something. <laughs> but um, 
I knew right then and there, as soon as their faces blanched, I thought, I am not going to be Miss America, I'm afraid. <laughs> I think I just blew it. <laughs> yeah. and, and just so everybody knows, I am not against world peace. It's just, it's just that <laughs> no. that's what we hear from pageant people all the time. <laughs> that's right. Or that's the joke, anyways. <laughs> that's right. Oh. So, um, now after, so after you did this uh, uh-huh. and you got into to acting, um, mm-hmm. What was your first, besides commercials, what was your first uh, TV or movie uh, acting role? Do you remember? I do, and I hesitate to even, I, for years I didn't even remember. It was so off my radar, and then it showed up on IMDb, and I went, oh yeah, I did do that. Um, when I was in New York, I was studying at the Stella Adler Conservatory, and that was the school I enrolled in when I first moved there, and I got a call... And it wasn't even, I was, I was signed with the Ford agency. I was primarily modeling. I was doing commercials and a lot of print work. And, um, but I got a call. I don't think it was through Ford. It was, I don't know. But anyway, I got a call to come in on this kind of horror film called Q, just the letter Q. Mm-hmm. And I am in the opening sequence of that film, just in the title credits, and it's, uh, I just play a gal who is a receptionist or a, works in an office building, and this man is window, a window washer outside my window, and he's flirting with me and paying no attention to anything that's going on outside. But he's outside the window knocking on the door, and I'm on the telephone with a girlfriend. And all of a sudden, I turn around, and this pterodactyl, prehistoric kind of bird that has now come back to Earth, cue comes along and decapitates him, grabs his head, and just blood is spurting all over the place. And I begin this thriller scream that every horror movie has to have. And the camera pans directly into my tonsils, practically. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my very first acting role. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after that, about, I don't know, later a year later, perhaps, um, I had my very first real audition, and it was to play a new character, a series regular on a soap opera called The Doctors. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got it, which I was thrilled. And if I remember at the time, it was the first, it was the first time one of Eileen Ford's models had really done any kind of real film or television. Um, so it was a kind of a fun thing for us at the agency and for me as an actor. And um, so I got that show, and we did that for about a year. Now you, and you we were a dual role, correct? I did. I played a mother and a daughter. A mother and, and a daughter. Okay, I didn't and know. And a daughter. Oh yeah, it was it was it was wild. What happened is the show had was beginning to languish in its ratings. It had been on for twenty years. Mm-hmm. It was one of the kind of granddaddies of the soaps, and had a great following. But just was beginning to lose its luster. So they decided to bring in this little triangle of young newbies. So it was myself and two young doctors the handsome Dr. Jeff and the handsome Dr. Mike. And the three of us sort of had this little triangle sort of thing about who is she going to fall in love with. Well, mm-hmm. not very long into it, we, just, we discover that it's, um, the show is really not going to be saved. And so the writers, I think, decided, well, if we're going to go out, we're going to go out with a bang. So <laughs> <laughs> they created a dual role for me. And I was not who I appeared to be. I was not just the ingenue, um, you know, very elegant, uh, sexy uh, Alicia, Felicia, but I was also my own mother. And what happened is that I was jealous of my daughters 
because she, I was in love with my daughter's fiancé, the handsome Dr. Jeff. So I had myself made to look just like my daughter with a magic serum concocted by Dr. Jean-Luc. <laughs> oh, they were really starting to reach. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, of course, a lot of plastic surgery. So I sent my daughter off to an insane asylum in Switzerland, and then I replaced myself in the daughter's life looking exactly like her. But, of course, I'm not her. I'm the mother. Mm -hmm. But, you know what? As often happens with a magic serum, it begins to wear off. <laughs> so I begin to age. But not just normally back to my, like, what, 40 years old at the time, but I begin to accelerate until I'm, like, 80 years old. Mm -hmm. So I had a full prosthetic mask of makeup every single day. Um, three hours of makeup to make wow. the old me by the time it was over. At first, they just added, you know, the little latex under your eyes and make you jowls. And before it was over, I had the full-on three-hour makeup mask of latex. And then also what happens is, is that my young daughter broke out of the insane asylum, and she wasn't crazy when she went in, but now she is. So I had scenes with myself as the crazy lunatic daughter with a purple mohawk haircut. <laughs> And the mother, who had now aged to 80 years old. And it was really something. It was, uh, it was crazy. And then the old me, to keep my secret safe, I got to murder about all, almost all the regulars on the show. Anybody who discovered my secret, I got to kill because we were being, you know, canceled. So let's really, let's just take them all out. So I got to murder all these. So you were responsible for wiping out the doctor's crew. <laughs> bad that I would show up on set and immediately in the green room all the actors would look up and they'd see me and they'd start rifling through their scripts and say, oh my gosh, who bites the dust today? <laughs> oh no, is it, is it me this time? <laughs> That's right. I was not a welcome character over there. Just, oh. Anyway, but it was, it was quite the education. I feel like I was thrown into the sharks on that one. <laughs> so people, when they saw you, they were, oh no, she's back. <laughs> Oh, she's here today. One of us is going to die. Right. <laughs> uh, what, about Saint, what about St. Elsewhere? Now, you, you, oh, my gosh. How was that show? Well, it, as you can only imagine, it was just phenomenal. Um, what an honor for me to be on a critically acclaimed show like that. Oh, yeah, it was a tremendous show. With, yeah, it was just... I, and for someone like me who'd had only one other acting credit really it was a daytime soap to to be cast in a in an ensemble with that caliber of people with that caliber of writing the show was so ahead of its time and um even you know i see it every now and then in reruns and you know the stories still hold up and you know yeah it looks a little dated but it was you know who did handheld camera work like that before seen elsewhere who had those kind of very taut storylines Mm -hmm. before saying elsewhere. It was just an honor and a, and a joy. And, um, you know, to get to watch what's happened to Denzel Washington. and Right, I know, jeez. You know, gosh, yeah. David Morse and, you know, Howie Mandel, even with all his comedic work mm -hmm. then. And yeah. just, it just it was a total, total, total joy. I just loved every second of it. Yeah. And speaking of uh, the actors you've worked with, before St. Elsewhere, I was just looking here, and uh, now you worked with Tony Danzer on Who's the Boss, and you have Remington yeah. Steele and Magnum P.I. And, and Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Now, you worked with you know some of the, the, the 
leading men, you know, that, that people, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the women like to watch and everything, so... Yeah, it it was um it was great. I I got to I got to kiss a lot of hunky guys. <laughs> it was really fun. Um, yeah, I happened to be you know the age at the time that I was getting to have these wonderful, fun guest starring roles with a lot of these leading men. It was just a, a delight. It was a great joy. And you know, I've had a very blessed career, not only just in the work I've gotten to do, but the people I've worked with. I mean, they're there's just probably only one person I can think of which will forever go unnamed um, <laughs> who was not a stand-up person, who just was a, you know, and frankly, he's not even around anymore. It just, his career fizzled fast it's because he didn't behave very well. Uh, yeah. But I have just had the joy of working with stand-up, incredible, lovely, talented, and very lovely people. Just, mm. um couldn't say enough nice about everybody I've worked with. Yeah. Before St. Elsewhere... And really among... Go ahead. Uh, well, before St. Elsewhere, um, of all the people you got to work with, was there anyone that you were really excited about working with? Uh, <laughs> I, I was just going to talk about that. You, <laughs> you, you read my mind. Um, well, a lot of them... I mean, Tony Danza is hysterically funny and a very gifted guy, but I must tell you that I was probably most impressed with Tom Selleck. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Not only is he just about the most drop-dead gorgeous human being on the planet, <laughs> um, and just created such a great atmosphere on the set. Everybody loved Tom. And it's such joy to get to fly to Hawaii to shoot an episode, for heaven's sake. Right, yeah. It's not fun about that. The show that he and I did, we did actually a two-parter, and um, it was sort of a Carol Lombard, Clark Gable sort of a comedic thing. We hated each other as characters on the show. We were just fire, oil, and water, and, you know, fire and water. And um, But we had a blast doing it. But here's a Tom Selleck story, which will tell you a lot about the kind of person he was. Um, as a guest star, you know, the, the main stars on the show, you know, he had this, you know, 36-foot beautifully appointed motorhome. Mm-hmm. On on location, you know, would you draw? You know, would you go on first thing in the morning? And of course, it's five thirty in the morning. I had just arrived into my little honey wagon, my little you know twelve foot cubicle <laughs> that all the guest stars get. And um, so I'm noodling around my honey wagon and trying to figure out you know where my clothes are and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, it's still dark out. The, the drivers are, for heaven's sake, are just still arriving. And um, there's a little rap at my door. And so I go to the door and open it up, and there stands Tom. Wow. With a steaming hot cup of coffee in his hands. And he hands it to me, and this huge smile underneath that gorgeous mustache, and he just says, Nancy, I just wanted to come and welcome you here this morning. My name is Tom Selleck. <laughs> like you didn't know who he was. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he said, we're just so happy you're here with us, and I hope you'll enjoy your week, and hope, hope this cup of coffee will help you this morning you know, get in the right mood or something like that. Just hmm. He hands me this coffee and welcomes me by name, and I had never had an actor do that, ever. Wow. And it, I learned a big lesson, and um, it, it was something that I then carried with me when I went to do Matlock for five years. I couldn't do it every day because I wasn't on set every day, but the days that I was there, um, I was taught by the best, and I, I just realized how important it was as a guest star, 
and I did my best to, to, to welcome all of our guest stars the same kind of way that Tom had welcomed me. Well, that's nice. And um, it was just, he's just a class act. He yeah. really is. Yeah. Well, we had um, uh, Larry Minetti from Magnum P.I. on the show. Oh. Larry was a crazy guy. <laughs> he had some crazy stories. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, how fun, how fun. I'll have to go back and listen to that archive. <laughs> now, you also, uh, after St. Elsewhere, you worked on uh, Sidekicks with um, Gil Gerard. Yeah, and that was the most wonderful show. It was uh, a very undervalued show that should have gone a long time, and we were the unfortunate uh, recipients of a very bad time slot. <laughs> right, yeah, that happens. Because <laughs> really, we were Friday night, I think, on uh, ABC against some terrible competition, and it's a show that was absolutely delightful. We did have a pretty good following, and actually still today, all over YouTube, um, our show is, is in bits and pieces all over YouTube. People still, there are a lot of, a lot of fans of that show. That so that's not out on, D- it's not out on DVD? I don't think so. Yeah, I'd I don't love think... to know if it is. Yeah, there's a lot of shows that, you, you know, you wish they, you could see them, because either you missed them, uh, or, yeah. or you just like to see those shows. Yeah, absolutely. And we only went one season, mm-hmm. which is a shame because um, it was a charming little family show. It was an unusual part of our problem, too, was we were a half hour single camera, which it was a dramedy. So there was a lot of action and drama, but there was a lot of comedy. But it wasn't a sitcom. Mm-hmm. So we sort of fell in between the cracks. It was the years before Scrubs and before House and some of those other shows that are sort of dramedies. Yeah. Um, so they didn't know really quite what to do with us. And Gil and I uh, and little Ernie Reyes, Jr., who's an absolute, was adorable at the time, and now he's all grown up, but he was a little karate kid. Yep. <laughs> and uh, we were this little sort of triangle of a little family. I was the social worker, and Gil was his uh, foster father. Mm-hmm. And it was just the sweetest, most fun show. Yeah, so I remember anyway, the show. We had a blast. Yeah. 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 When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, then, of course, the, the, the role that, you know, I mean, I, I can't really say that's the, the, the one everybody remembers you from because you have been in some, you know, huge shows. So, you know, along the way, you've been in other shows that people remember you from also. But, of course, Matlock, you were on there for five mm. years. So that, uh, you know, that was 109 episodes or something like that. <laughs> uh, a so, lot. Yeah, yeah. so uh, that was a big one. How did you come about getting the part on Matlock? Oh, my gosh. What a fun, fun, fun five years of my life. I'll never, ever, ever be able to replace that or forget it. Um, Well, I really think that the real reason I got it was the year before when Linda Pearl was playing Andy's daughter. Mm -hmm. I didn't play a daughter. I played his his lawyer, his his, uh, his partner. Partner, yep. Yeah. But the the first year of the show, I was cast as a guest star. And it was very unusual because I was shooting sidekicks at the time and I got a phone call from my agent that said you've been offered a show as a guest role without you know you just it's, a, it's an offer and I said what 
She wow. said, yeah, it's just a flat offer, which was unusual for me. I mean, I was still in the place in my career where I needed to audition for everything, and I was accustomed to doing that. So to get a flat offer was very unusual. And she, But here's what she said. She said, but, you know, you, you do need to, I'm going to send the script over because, you know, knowing you, Nancy, I'm not sure if you're going to want to do it, but, you know, it's up, entirely up to you. So they sent the script. And the role was to play a prostitute. She was a very high-class call girl, mm -hmm. and she perjures herself on the witness stand and frames somebody for murder. Not a nice girl. Yeah. And um, in the course of it, too, as I'm reading the script, there's a scene where she seduces Matlock. I mean, she lures him into a hotel room, and, and she's wearing this little teddy, and she's, you know, she's using, pulling out all the stops, and she's just a manipulator, a conniver, a horrible person. And she murders somebody. So um, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, do I play this part? Don't I play this part? I just didn't know what to do. I agonized over it for so long. Do I really want a part like this? But I also knew, as I read it, that I could really play the pain of this woman. I could play her desperation. I didn't have to just play kind of the typical kind mm -hmm. of overt, just, just the sexy part. I could really dig deeper as to what's going on with her. So I accepted the role, and Andy just must have really just liked me. I don't think it was just the teddy. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I mean, we got along so great. And then the next year, when Linda left the show and the role was open for um, a law partner, they remembered me. And I auditioned with two other women. It wasn't just, they didn't just hand it to me. I mean, I had to audition to the studio heads in L.A., and then I was flown to New York, along with these other two women, <laughs> and we screen test, tested it in New York with Andy, um, or actually went to a, it wasn't a screen test, it was uh, in a big conference room, but Andy was there. Mm -hmm. And then on the flight home, um, I, since I landed, I got the call that I had gotten the role. So um, if it hadn't been for my guest starring role the previous year, you know, I wouldn't be on their radar. I wouldn't have been known by them. Yeah. to be considered. Now, I wonder if and it's so funny. No, so, go ahead. Now, I was going to say, it's so funny, though, because when I first got the call and they said, yeah, we want you, I said, oh, that's great, but, you know, you know, the public, you know, I just did this part as a prostitute <laughs> last year. That's what I was going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> and, but here, here's what the producers all said. They said, oh, no, no, people, people, people don't pay attention. They're not going to know. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, Brian, for two solid years, the biggest amount of fan mail I got was fan mail about, hey, weren't you just a prostitute last year? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to ask you, if people were saying, yeah. you know, weren't you that prostitute? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I used to just write back and say, well, I figured my character was thrown into jail and she studied, she studied <laughs> law and when she got out, she passed the bar. Changed her <laughs> name. And <laughs> Changed her name and her ways. She became Matlock's assistant. <laughs> so, now, was it? Were you excited about working with Andy Griffith? I mean, you know, oh the man God. was a legend, of course, uh, from a you legend. Know, growing up. I was up. terrified. <laughs> I was terrified and, and charged at the same time. Of course, he was like an icon, and he is an icon. Oh yes, yeah. And um, it has just been—I can't imagine a greater joy than the joy I've had those five years of working with him. Yeah. Um, he's the most genuinely hysterically funny human being on the planet um he is sharp as a tack he he is 
totally, I was so impressed because he's completely involved in every aspect of that show. I mean, he read every single script. He had notes to write. He rewrote scenes um, that made him better. He was a, he's a craftsman with dialogue, of course, yeah. coming from his stand-up days, too, you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knows, I mean, he just knows his stuff. And um, it was also very interesting, because those of your listeners that are, have seen the show and watch reruns, if you, if you see it now, if you watch a rerun now, knowing this, it might be interesting. Um, in those, every episode, of course, we had the big courtroom scene, mm-hmm. which took, you know, sometimes two and three days to shoot. It took us eight days to shoot a one-hour show. Eight very long days. Wow. Um, court was usually two to three days, depending on, you know, how elaborate that was. But whenever we did um, the the big scene at the end, you know, where he does his final wrap-up, mm-hmm. um, Andy would do it as a monologue. He told me that he memorized the scene as a monologue. And the way, reason would be that he could just keep plowing through it, no matter what the defense said, no matter what the prosecutor said, no matter what the judge, he would just sort of know his lines. He wasn't waiting for other people. And do you know that I bet nine times out of ten, I can count actually on my one hand the times he did not get it in one take, but he would, use, he would do that scene as a master shot in one take. Wow. And that just never happens. Yeah. And at the end of that, when the director would say cut, he invariably would get a standing ovation <laughs> from the other actors and from the gallery and from the crew. I mean, it just used to blow our minds. Yeah, I can imagine. Jeez. It just was amazing. He'd remember the characters' names, and every week they're different. So, yeah. you know, it's a whole bunch of people were. And um, he was just a master. And I loved the, the tone he set on our set. Um, from the top down, it was just a delightful, lovely place to work. Yeah. Well, one of the shows that I remember, one of the episodes, uh, it just struck me funny, and I always remember it, is when you and Clarence, uh, trying to think of the name. Clarence Gilliard, Conrad. Uh, yeah, on the, on the show, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You had a bet going on if <laughs> you could if you could get Andy to get his attention. And it, it, it was so funny. <laughs> It's just the way, <laughs> and you guys all through the show, you guys kept saying, you know, uh, you know, has he noticed you yet? And and you say, not yet, but I'm working on it. Oh, so funny! I, that was one of my favorite episodes too, Brian. Um, especially the one, I, and I tried. You're right. I tried multiple ways to get him to notice me. Of course, and he I never noticed. <laughs> no, he never did. He never did. And um, you know, I'd come in one time squirting perfume on myself, you know, and and leaning over the back of the chair, yes. looking over his shoulder to read a, a brief we were working on together. And, of course, he starts to sniff around, and it's in his house, this scene is taking place right. in his living room. Yes. And he starts to sniff around, what's that smell? Yes. And I, I keep flipping my hair, saying, okay, well, he'll get me soon. And then he goes, oh, I know. <laughs> the exterminator was just here <laughs> And he shines his shoes, and he sniffs at his shoes. Oh, my gosh. We cra- we barely got through those scenes. Now, was a lot of that um, uh, scripted, or was it uh, ad-libbed? A lot of it was ad-libbed. Um, but the writing on the show was brilliant. Oh, great. yes. But, you know, the, the basics of it was scripted. But, 
you know, we, we ad-libbed a lot of that stuff. And yeah. A lot of those things that, um, the Andy-isms on that show, mm-hmm. like the, the shining shoes all the time, yeah. and the hot dogs. Yes, yeah. And, of course, the ukulele and playing the steel guitar, all those things Andy were Andy touches that he decided to put in. Hmm. And he used to <laughs> he used to get so upset that he ever created the hot dog thing because, um, you know, he actually... And, and uh, I loved him because, and that was actually in that same episode where we, he, let's go out fresco. Or I, I suggest, let's go out to dinner. We'll go yes. out fresco. And he takes me to a hot dog stand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Al fresco. I'll have to remember this. Um, but he would devour those hot dogs. Remember that? And he would just make that sound. And oh, he was just loving every second of it. And then as soon as they would yell, cut, he would sort of spit it out and go, oh, why did I ever invent this hot dog thing? Because <laughs> he was actually a, um, he's a real health food fanatic. And yeah. um, so he would eat, those hot dogs were either tofu burgers or, you know, tofu dogs or chicken dogs or something. They hmm. weren't hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Now, uh, were you a big fan of, uh, when you were growing up, of the Andy Griffith show? I was. And I first knew of Andy list, having my parents listen to the album, What It Was, with football. Mm-hmm. Did you ever hear that record? Not that I remember. Oh, my gosh. You've got to listen to this record. It was a, one of his stand-up acts, and um, it was a, I remember it was a 78 RPM or a, maybe it was an LP by the time I was old enough, but I don't know, 33 and a third or whatever right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> RPM. But he did this wonderful routine called What It Was Was Football, and he was describing a football game as somebody who'd never seen one before in that wonderful Southern drawl. And then they'd hit one another, and they'd, they'd crash into one another, and they'd throw one another down, and they'd stomp on one another. <laughs> and they were throwing this little pig all over. I mean, he was, it was so funny. And that's when I first became acquainted with Andy Griffith and, um, of course, watched all the Andy Griffith shows oh, yeah. with with Don and yeah. yeah, and it was so fun having Don on the set. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he, he he seemed to Andy seemed to have a lot of people from past shows. Like he had the woman who played um, Helen. Um, I can't remember. Trump. Yes. Yeah. Uh, she was uh, she was uh, at least a guest on one of the shows. I remember. She was. He he was really great about that. He um, he loved his friends and he loved inc- including his friends. And um, yeah, we had a number of. Uh, old Andy, Andy of Mayberry kind of stars on the show. Yeah. And, of course, he loved, there's no one he loved more than Don Knotts. Oh, and, um, Don was... And what a delight. Whenever Don was on the show, um, we all basically just sort of sat back and just got entertained the whole time because um, <laughs> they would just, they were cutting up and they were, they were performing as soon as it, they said cut and yeah. the scene that was scripted was done, they'd go off on their, their own thing. Hmm. I mean, it was just a delight. Uh-huh. Now, I and saw her on... Nicest Go ahead. And Don Knotts is truly was the loveliest, sweetest, shyest, nicest man on the planet. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to ask you something about, uh, you know, you see a lot of things on the Internet, so I always like to throw something in when I speak to people that to find out if it's true. Now, I was reading where it said somewhere that you thought you looked like Don Knotts from The Incredible Mr. Limpet when you put on glasses <laughs> when you were young. Is that true? That was that was on the internet? Wow. Somewhere, yeah, I saw um, that somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, 
Yeah, and the reason is because I've been legally blind all my life, and um, I have worn huge, thick, Coke bottle-thick glasses from the time I was like five years old. And I've got gigantic blue eyes, I mean, these enormous, bulging blue eyes. And then you put those thick glasses on, and my eyes, <laughs> I look like... You're too young to know the movie, but there was... Oh, no, no, I remember the movie. Remember? (laughs) Of course I do. (laughs) Incredible Mr. Limpet? Oh, yes. Well, that's how I looked. I looked like like that fish. Well, well, Nancy, no offense, but there is no way (laughs) I could say that you looked like Don Knotts in Incredible Mr. Limpet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're very kind. Thank you. But But at least it conveys the image. Right. No, I know what you're saying. But I could not mistake the two of you, believe me. Mm. Well, thank you. <laughs> but uh, now, um, with the other things that you've been doing, I know you've been doing, uh, you've been writing books. You've done a lot of book writing. I have, and it's, it's the kind of joy of my life. I love it. Um, after I, and it started because um, after Matlock ended, then I did a couple of TV movies and um, that still air, fortunately, a few of those. Mm-hmm. Um, that up on the Lifetime channel, like Moment of Truth, A Child Too Many, and uh, Deadly Invasion, the Killer Bee thing with Robert Hayes, which was great fun. Yeah. And then I took some time off. I just said, okay, I, I really kind of need to rest here a little bit. So I was done resting, and I'm looking around, and I'm going, okay, I've rested. <laughs> I need a new series now. Who's offering me my next series? And, I mean, it's deadly quiet out there. And I'm going, okay, who, who, who wants to give me my next series? Nothing. I mean, it was dead. So uh, a friend of mine named Michael Young, who had been an actor years ago, and he and I had remained friends for years, he was now producing, and he was doing a new show, and at the time it was sort of a cutting-edge fashion, lifestyle, beauty trends show. Nowadays there's entire channels with these shows on it. Mm -hmm. But he was doing this show called Main Floor. And he said, you know what, I'm going to do this show, and it's going to be about the collections in Paris and the collections in Milan and London, and we'll interview designers, and we'll have makeover sessions, and we'll do this and that and lifestyle stuff, and I want you to host it. And I did, you know, I did a triple take on my head. And blah, 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 blah. <laughs> what? Did you just use the word host? <laughs> like it was a, you know, an expletive. <laughs> and I said, he said, yeah. I said, no, 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 no. I'm an actor. I'm not going to host your show. He said, Nancy, it's hip and it's fun and it's cool. It's not going to hurt you. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. I said, look, as a favor to you, I will do your pilot, okay, to help you get it sold. But if it sells, don't come back to me because I'm not going to do the show, okay? Great. Calls me back. The pilot sold largely because of you. you got to come do the show. So, again, I'm looking around. Nobody's beating down my door offering me my next acting job. So I have to tell you, kicking and screaming and digging my heels into the ground, I agreed to do this show. I did it for 10 years. 10 years, wow. 10 years. And it was, it turned out to be, and we did it, like I would shoot every three weeks, we'd do three shows at a time. So it was like, it aired for 10 years, I didn't shoot it for 10 years. Right, yeah, yeah. But it was on the air for 10 years. Wow. And it turned out to be one of the greatest blessings of my life. It got me back to my roots in fashion. Mm-hmm. It got me back to my roots in journalism, because a few months into the show, um, this producer said to me, okay, well, alongside the show, we're going to do this new thing called a website. 
<laughs> the early 90s. So he says, we're going to do this website, and it's going to be really interactive and really great and really new and, and cutting edge, and why don't you write a, a column? Now they call it a blog. So you can write a column on there, and you can call it, I don't know, Nancy's Notebook. Write whatever you want. So I started writing Nancy's Notebook every month. And I just started writing about, you know, what real beauty is all about, you know, that it's not just the external stuff, but it's about who we are inside, too. And people started reading it and loving it, and I got a publisher that wrote me and said, oh, my gosh, you need to do a book. And I said, no, 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 no. There's a million books out there. I don't need to do a book. For six months, he worked on me, and finally he said, look, you're already going around the country talking to women about self-esteem and what this really means and who they are, and you got to do a book. So I did my first book, and um, I did my second book, and now I'm working on my third book. Wow. And it's just been a joy, and um, I get to travel around the country and talk to girls and teenagers and women about how unique and special and beautiful they really are, and not to be seduced by... Uh, impossible, unattainable images of our media and culture that tell us right. who we are and what we look like and what we have isn't enough. Yeah, that they are enough. So yeah. it's, it's true. It's, it's it's a lot of people. They see everything they see on TV or on on commercials or movies and everything. It's it's and it's all you know. They're trying to stereotype everybody into one pocket, and that's not that's not real. It's not real. And so many of the images that we, that women, and, and I'm not talking about just girls, although that's my hardest to try to get the girls yeah. not falling into that trap, because mm-hmm. you know, it would save a lot of women, who get to be my age, a lot of heartache. You know? <laughs> but I see women my age that are still trying to be 20 years old and yeah. getting nipped and tucked. And, and part of it is that the images that they look at, that they think they have to look like, they don't remember, don't realize that they're completely altered. Mm-hmm. They're completely computer-generated. They're airbrushed. They're impossible. They're not even real. Right. Yeah. I had a, a one of, during the time I was shooting Main Floor, um, I was walking through the art department of Bizarre Magazine, and one of my friends was working on the cover. Uh, he's the art director, and he was working on the cover featuring a very famous movie star who is still to this day one of the hot women, box office draw, movie star, beautiful, gorgeous. And he said, Nancy, come over here. And he said, you're always going around the country talking to women about what real beauty is, inner beauty, whatever that is. I don't know what that could be. But anyway, he said, this, you might want to show them this. And he handed me his photographer's touch-up instructions of that photo that, he was, that, was being, that had been taken that was now going to be the cover of this magazine. Mm-hmm. And it was things like, uh, narrow her waist for a better line. Soften all of her eye lines. Soften smile lines. Make her forehead taller. And, and that now, can be on. done. I mean, it's it's, it's easy enough totally to do. Done. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, it's amazing but, what you, you can know, do with Photoshop. But when you look at a photo, the girls and the women who think that they look in the mirror and then they look in the photo and then they look in the mirror again. Yeah. And they don't have the advantage of photoshopping. Right. So part and part of it is not just the face part, but my heart and concern is a lot of a lot of people have fallen into some really bad eating disorders, mm-hmm. and girls are starving themselves, and women are on very unhealthy diets and yo-yo stuff, and it's just 
you know, we have forgotten that it's okay to, you know, so you don't have a 21-inch waist when you're 50 years old. It's right. okay, you know. That's right. So, anyway. Yeah, yeah we can make a whole <laughs> show just... One of my, <laughs> we could. Yeah, we just could. on that, uh, it's, it's, it's too bad, but... Uh, well, you know, hopefully people will be able to see you. Where can people find uh, information about where you're going to be speaking and things? Oh, thanks. Um, well, everything is on my website, and mm-hmm. I would love for folks to visit the website. It has my speaking calendar, and and um, my bio is on there, and the trailer for the new movie that I've just um, completed is on there, and all kinds of information. So just go to nancystafford.com, and that's N-A-N-C-Y-S-T-A-F-F-O-R-D.com. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to do is we were go- we're going to put a link on our site so people can um, just click on it and it'll go directly. You know, they don't have to remember anything. It'll just say, click here to go to Nancy's site. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and a couple more things here. I don't want to talk too much about your upcoming movie, which will come out next year, because I'm hoping that you're going to come back again and be on the show to talk about that one specifically. I would love that. And, Great. We've got a long time to wait for that one, so I'll definitely be back. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, I, I do want to just sort of give people a, t- a tease on that one. Um, uh, and, and I'll tell you, I, I watched the um, the trailer, and it looks like it's a really good film. I think it's good. it's a good film. I saw it for the first time. I saw a full screening of it in Washington, D.C. not long ago at a, yeah. a conference. And um, I'm very excited about the film. Ted McKinley plays my husband, and you're... Listeners would remember him from Married with Children and right. you know, all kinds of stuff. He's just a dreamboat. He's yeah. just a delightful guy. And Daniel Baldwin, one mm-hmm. of the many Baldwin boys, yep. um, plays our Grinch. He's our bad guy. And he's amazing and wonderful. And Brad Stein, who is a funny, funny, funny stand-up comedian, is in the film. Yeah. And it's called Christmas it, with a capital C. Christmas with a capital C, that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's really just, it's set in a gorgeous setting in Seward, Alaska. Just the beauty of the surroundings itself is reason enough to see the movie. I mean, it's just a stunningly beautiful film about a small town that really uh, finally comes to grips with the really what the real importance of Christmas is all about. And it's just really delightful, fun funny, too, and poignant film at the same time. Yeah, And like I say, we'll talk about that more next year. <clears throat> Excuse hey. me, when we when we get closer to the release of that. And, uh, I'd love that. We'll talk about that. Um, and I also noticed, and maybe this one you can or can't talk about, um, that there's a project in development that you're going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, be in called Three Times yeah. a Lady? Yeah. We're, um, we're waiting for all those financial pieces to come together so we can start production, but this is going to be a fun, fun film, Three Times a Lady, and um, it has been written and will be produced by a good friend of mine named Barbara Kerr Condon, um, starring Kevin Sorbo and Muse Watson, who everybody knows from NCSI, and um, it's just going to be a lovely film, and it's, it's kind of like romance finds itself after 50. You know, life doesn't just stop for people who are over 50. And it's right. a delightful, fun, comedic, romantic romp. And it's going to be a lot. Of, and I get to play the cougar. <laughs> I've never played a cougar. So I get to be a cougar, and I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, Kevin was a guest on the show. Oh, I don't know. Time goes by so fast. It might have been uh, two months ago or so. But uh, oh, Kevin right. was a guest on the show, and he was a great guest. Great guest. He's, He's delightful. A lot of fun. And I'm looking forward. I've never worked with him, so I'm, and nor have I worked with Muse, so I'm really looking forward to working with those guys. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, the next time we talk, that uh, you'll be able to tell us a little more about that and how that one's progressing. 
I would love that. Right. And, and I have a, just two more questions for you. I know, okay. I know we're getting <laughs> getting along here, but these um, should be quick questions for you. Uh, first off, what is your favorite TV show of all time? Not necessarily something that you were in, but what what mm-hmm. do you like? Oh my gosh! Oh man! Well, the first thing that pops into my mind is not one I've watched in the last even the last two seasons of it, but I got completely addicted to 24. Ah, okay. That's a popular one. I was totally addicted. And my husband was very reticent, but I I had seen, I guess, it on TV in in real time one time. And um, I said to him, oh, my gosh, you've got to see this show. It was about 10 o'clock at night. We watched it. I had T-voted it. He said to me, he looked at his watch when it was over, his heart pounding with adrenaline, of course, and he said, what time does the video store close? <laughs> so he went out and got the first you know, season, like four episodes in a row, and we just we got them all, and we watched them all back to back to back to back. I mean, that's the only way you can watch 24. So right, I, yeah. I'm crazy for 24. Hmm. What about movies? What's your favorite movie? Oh, or my movies? gosh. <laughs> I have several, and I'm a softie. It's a wonderful life every year as a tradition for my husband and me, we just watch it every, you know, kind of Christmas Eve. That's yeah. kind of part of our family tradition. That's one of those movies that just, if you see it on TV, you're just drawn to it. <laughs> you are. You have to watch it. Yeah. And what I love is that every generation ends up loving it. My daughter, who's 31, loves it. Our grandson, who's 8, tolerates it now, but by next year he'll like it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but we can all kind of watch it together. What about music? Favorite group or artist or singer or... Do you have a favorite? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I'm quite eclectic, actually, musically. My husband's a musician, um, so oh, we right. get the joy of being around a lot of music. Um, Bob Dylan is just off the charts as far as I'm concerned. I just think he's brilliant. I've loved everything he's ever done, especially some of the stuff he did, like... Um, uh, um, Knocked Out Loaded was amazing. Um, just Mercy Me was just amazing. Um, I also love Leonard Cohen as a poet and songwriter. Yeah. I grew up crazy for the monkeys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That you're, you're <laughs> that, <laughs> that time, yeah. I with the monkeys, and I, I was crazy for the Beatles. Um, so, you know, those are, those are sort of, you know, the folks I love. Yeah. Well, Nancy, this has been fun. I've had a great time, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you, Brian. I've loved every second of it. You're (laughs) awesome. Thank you. Well, Nancy, you got to thank her so much for taking the time to talk to us. She's a great guest, wonderful person, and she's just so nice. And, uh, you know, she's going to be coming back, if all goes well, next year at this time to talk about her new movie that's coming out for Christmas next year. And it's called Christmas with a capital C. We'll be talking with her, getting a little more into it than we did this time. There was sort of a little teaser, and I uh, hope you'll be here for uh, joining us for that one when she comes back. And that looks like it's a just about a wrap for this episode of On Screen and Beyond, episode 136. And until next week, I hope you'll join me. Till then, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. Uh-huh.